Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Micah Fox. And I unlock the car from the inside because that's how cars fucking work. (laughs) That and more. But before that, I just wanted to say, you know, if you have a WordPress site, installwordpress.org is the place you gotta go. What you'll find are the first 30 minutes of a WordPress course that the guys over at One Month Rails, One Month H. HTML are developing, and they're giving these first 30 minutes away for free while this course is in beta. With five short videos, you'll learn how to install WordPress on your own server, how to use the WordPress administration to get access to thousands of custom themes, and how to set up your own domain so that it points to your WordPress site. One in four websites on the internet are made with WordPress, so it's a great skill to have, whether you're updating your business's website or looking to make some extra money freelancing. Install WordPress is the place to start learning, and from there, the one-month folks have courses in HTML and one called Programming for Non-Programmers that can take you through the next steps of your learning journey. So check it out and learn how to customize your WordPress blog. Go to installwordpress.org. That's installwordpress.org, and set up your first WordPress blog for free. Also, you know that feeling you get when you can get things done with a click of the button? It can't get more convenient than that. And now you can get your mailing and shipping done without leaving your desk thanks to Stamps.com. Stamps.com turns your PC or Mac into your own post office that never closes. It's that convenient. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. Then just hand your mail to the mailman and you'll never have to go to the post office again. We use Stamps.com at risk and the Story Studio, and we love it. And right now, you can sign up for Stamps.com and use our promo code RISK for this special offer. It's a four-week trial, plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in RISK. That's Stamps.com. Enter RISK. Now here's the show.
kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is the great Artie Shaw behind me now. We're calling today's episode ARG, not because there's any pirates involved, but because it's the seventh of our Scary Stories series. And this is a fun one we've got for you today. Four very different and sometimes very spooky stories. In a little bit, we're going to hear from the New York-based storyteller Thomas McKean. Fascinating guy. It'll be Thomas's first time on the show. But before that, we're going to hear from the hilarious Micah Fox of the podcast This Week in Jackin, which is exactly what it sounds like. Here's Micah now at the Risk Live show in New York with a story we call Hitching It. Hi, guys. Um, I grew up in the suburbs, and then I went to college in the suburbs, and uh, that was a mistake. Uh, if there's anything uh, that happens in the suburbs, it's nothing. You'll, the only adventure I learned was from watching movies. That's the only way. So one night I'm in college, and me and my roommate are out for a real sense of adventure, and everything's closed by 9 p.m., so we get in our heads that we're just going to go hitchhiking, which is not something you just go do. You don't go, uh, it's a, that's a dumb plan for one because both of us have cars. <laughs> and uh, also we had no destination. So it was a real, real dumb plan, you know, but we were like, hey, uh, let's let someone else be the author of our story. <laughs> just like in the movies, you know what I mean? Uh, so we just got all excited for it, and we got dressed up like hitchhikers, or what we thought that was, you know. Uh, we were, you know, we wanted some kind of real Thelma and Louise action, even though, like, one of them gets raped, and that's the setting off point. <laughs> you know, but the movie was fun, and, uh... <laughs> So we get all dressed up like hitchhikers. So, uh, what, so we're thinking, you know, uh, Leah Thompson's band and Howard of the Ducks. <laughs> Howard of the Ducks. So she's got a band, and uh, they're real crazy. So we're putting on a lot of dark eyeliner, and we're thinking that's enough to protect us from hitchhiking people. People who hit, pick us up. But the reality is, is uh, we were more like the cast from Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> Not the hot one, the other one. You know, the one who, like, doesn't realize her glasses aren't on and can't see that a rat's not a cat. (laughs) So that's who we are. It's like Jen, and she's got glasses, and her hair's cut short because she just broke up with some dude. And um, I'm me, but even less cool. (laughs) And uh, we're going to go hitchhiking. And I put a kitchen knife in my purse, you know, because that'll protect us. We set off out of our gated apartment complex. Because that's how all great hitchhiking stories start. I'm pretty sure Jack Kerouac talked about walking five minutes out of a gated community. I, I lived my whole life in the suburbs. I never saw one hitchhiker. But we were picked up immediately. If you can imagine two college co-eds finding a ride. 
So it was this giant SUV, and there were a couple of surfboards on the, strapped to the top of the car. We're in the Orange County, and uh, they pick us up right away. Surprise, surprise. We get in, and I'm like, oh, these douchebags are dumb. Uh, you know, it was like three hot surfer dudes, and who wants to spend a Friday night with those people, you know? You know, and so they're right, we're riding along, and my friend's like, hey, you have a nice car. And I'm like, yeah, too bad we have to steal it. Because something's got to happen, you know? Because uh, it wasn't cinematic. It was very TV, and they drop, they drop us off at a bus station, like, immediately. They're like, uh, no, no, no. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. We didn't want you either. I was like, this is not our hitchhiking film. And we, we walk and we decide to go around to the other side of the street and then it happens. We get picked up by this Datsun. And I'm like, yes, this is cinematic as fuck. <laughs> it was like a matte gray, like someone had spray painted it. The interior was maroon. The whole thing looked like uh, the groom's cake from Steel Magnolias. And I was like, this is something I can get in a hitchhiking movie with. And we get in, and the, the guy who's driving the car looks like Ray Liotta. Not as handsome, but the same skin. You know what I'm saying? You know, not, not as handsome. Not as handsome. We're talking like maybe a Kevin Spacey with a Ray Liotta face. So, a, a Kevin Spacey personality with a Ray Liotta skin cover. Uh, so... <laughs> And uh, it, this is a two-door, and uh, you know, I push my friend in back because she's the beta. And uh, <laughs> I sit up front because I'm a real leader, you know what I mean? I'm really feeling my Leah Thompson vibe. And we get in, and he's like, where are you going? And that is something we had not thought about. Uh, and we were heading south, and I'm like, to Mexico! because that is what criminals would say in movies. And I was like, yeah, why else would we be hitchhiking? We gotta get out of this country. We're clearly on the lam. So he says, okay. <laughs> Which is not okay. Uh, you can't, no. And we, um, we get on the freeway. Um, and we're cruising along, and I'm like, this is a mistake. <laughs> yeah, I really uh, miscalculated how I was going to keep myself alive. <laughs> and we're just cruising. And, uh, you know, then you start to think about, like, how am I going to get back? Uh, why didn't I tell anybody I was doing this? Uh, I had a really safe life and a good job, and I was in college. You know, but... You know, yeah, uh, whatever, but I'm like, but it's, you know, we're doing it. And uh, the conversation was minimal. This was not, you know, part of the intelligentsia. But we didn't have to play the ABC game or anything because uh, he pulls off the freeway and starts going down one of those side, side roads, the service roads. And I'm like, oh, we're, we're not in Mexico yet. And I was like, hey, what's, uh, why'd you pull off? And he's like, oh, I just need to pick something up. And I'm like, oh, no problem. Except I'm like, oh, that's a, totally a problem. 
And then he pulls off the service road onto some kind of dirt road, and we're just driving in the dark, and I'm like, here's that movie. Uh, What is it? Silence of the Lambs? What am I thinking of? And he pulls into one of these uh, storage lots, you know, where they just rows on rows of garage doors, and there's one lamp per every block, and he just doesn't pull up to any specific door. He just pulls up into the middle, and uh, he goes, hold on, I'm just gonna go get something. And my friend's like, okay, and I'm like, shut up. And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, he turns off the car and he gets out, and then he locked the car from the outside. And that's when I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna die like this. I'm gonna die, you know? And like, you know how like in in the movies they have those montage sequences where your entire life flashes before your eyes? And I'm just like, I have seen Spaceballs too many times. (laughs) I am not prepared for this. And he's like walking away from the car and we're just sitting there in the dark and I am freaking out and, and you know everything's like sweat out of my body and Jen of course is totally silent and uh, he, he like walks away from the car and I'm like run! <laughs> and she was like no we can't run because you know that like female trait of being like but he'll hurt us more if we resist and I'm like no no this is our best fucking chance bitch uh <laughs> And I unlock the car from the inside because that's how cars fucking work. (laughs) And I unlock it and I open the door quietly and I push my friend out of the fucking car. I'm like, you know, like it's like some kind of like plane we're jumping out of except it's the ground. And uh, I was like, no, you got to run and I'm going to start running first and you're just going to have to fucking deal with this on your own. And, And so... We're just running from, the, we're running from the car. We get out, we start running, and the guy is like eh, 20 feet away, but he is aware. And, uh, you know, like, this is like straight up Silence of the Lambs. It's dark out, but he's got night vision goggles because he's a rape murderer. And what we, he asked us to wait to get is probably duct tape and a bat and, like, I don't know, a recording device because, you know. And, uh, and so we just start running, and he's like, hey, where are you going? And we're like, I'm like, I'm too smart to answer that. And, uh, and I, I just push my friend. We're like, I'm like, run, run. And we run out of the lot and we turn the corner onto the service road when we hear him like slam the door into his car and he's getting in the car and he's turning it on and he is going to chase us down. And we're on foot and we dressed up like hitchhikers, which means we are not dressed for a chase. You would be if you had planned it, but in reality, you know, when you're dressing up as a slutty hitchhiker like Halloween, you're wearing those shoes you'd maybe worn once that you think look cool but aren't great for running away from a murderer in. So we're running down the service road, and it is pitch black, and we don't know where we're going. There could be, like, a complete crevasse that we fall into, but we're just going by logic that the road's going to continue. But fortunately, the light from his car lit the way. (laughs) So we're running as fast as we can, and Jen somehow has, like, Terminator strength, and she's just, like, flying ahead of me. I'm like, you fucking bitch, I saved your life. Uh, (laughs) 
and I'm just like desperately keeping up with her. I'm like, oh my god, like, you know, like all the all these gym contraptions never like taught me how to run away from a murderer. Uh, and and so we're running, and it's like you know, you we wanted that chase scene, you know, from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but really it was like a chase scene from like that time that guy murdered you. So. We're, we're running, we're running, and the light is getting brighter, which makes it easier to see, but it also means he's, like, coming closer and closer to, like, capturing us, and no one will ever hear from us again, and maybe he'll wear our skin, and it'll be funny to him. So, all of a sudden, like, there's a light that comes from us to the right side, and I turn, I'm like, come on, Jim, turn! Except she already is ahead of me, because she's so much faster and fitter than me. And we run, and we see it's a 24-hour grocery store. Uh, I, yes, Angel, angels were singing, and we, uh, and we run in. And it was so funny because, like, I once heard this uh, podcast where a guy who was a screenwriter saying, like, well, what I do to create conflict is I write my characters into a real pickle, and then I figure a way out of it. And I'm like, ah, nobody wrote my way fucking out of it. But they did because there was this grocery store there. And we run in, and all of a sudden it's like goes from this, like, scientific horror film to just like some average fucking wonder your shit because there's like fluorescent light going on and like you know uh, Eminem is on the radio which should be scary but it's funny in this context you know and, and there's cookies on sale two boxes for five dollars I'm like this is now where people get murdered except that that guy pulled up right in front he doesn't even park and he runs in after us and I'm like mm, good luck bitch we're in a grocery store now you know, like, there's cameras in here, there's air conditioning. Uh, if the suburbs have taught me anything, it's that air conditioning can fix a lot, all right? And uh, he runs in after us, and, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, you're on my turf now, buddy. Uh, and he's like, where did you guys go? And I'm like, oh, we just went to get a map. Right? Like, we're not talking about, like, how you just locked us in a car and we ran away from you in one. Uh, and he was like, well, I have a map in my car. And I'm like, hmm, good comeback. And <laughs> that touche. And, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, because we're women, so we're not used to, like, telling men, go away. So, so I'm trying to figure out what I say to, oh, you've already got a map. And I'm like, oh, I think we'll just figure it out from here inside this grocery store, you know. And, uh, but then Vince Vaughn arrives. And it wasn't Vince Vaughn, but it was like this dude who looked like Vince Vaughn and was like drunk like you'd expect him to be. You know, like drunk like Vince Vaughn, like swingers Vince Vaughn. And, uh, and he comes up and he's like, oh, these girls are with me. And I'm like, thanks, hero. And... And uh, the guy had no choice but to be like, you have bested me in this round of, like, man versus man taking advantage of women. (laughs) Uh, But we were like, well, this guy hasn't tried to lock us in a car yet, so we're going to (laughs) roll... We're going to roll with this dude and just see how that all shakes out. You know? And, uh... So, you know, Ray Liotta leaves, ostensibly. <laughs> and there we are with Vince Vaughn. He's like, would you ladies like a ride home? And, I, and I'm like, like, fuck, I'm leaving this store without some kind of a 
you know, it's like either that or call the cops. How are you going to call the cops and be like, um, so I was like hitchhiking. So I was like, I'm not making that phone call. So I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'll take a ride with you. He's like, hold on, let me just grab something. And he picks up a 12 pack of beers and we get in his SUV and he's just drinking them while we, he drives home. No big deal. And he's like, you ladies should really be more careful. We're like, <laughs> Totally. Thank you so much, safe driver. Uh, and um, he, we didn't have him drop us off at our apartment because we had learned a little something. We walked back home a couple blocks and, um, and we turned on the TV. All right. Thanks, guys. you see a hitchhiker, I recommend running him down, because chances are he's some sort of psycho murderer. He's following me. <laughs> I know he's following me. Middle of nowhere, late at night, tracked by a psycho murderer. You're on your own with this one. There's a man. He's been following me. What kind of man? An Asian? Mm, good question. Also, does he like... Ginger bears? It happened about a dozen years ago. It was three in the morning, and I was suddenly awake, lying on my back, in my bed, in New York City. I know I was awake and not dreaming, because I looked over at the clock and I could watch the second hand moving around. I could also hear the noises from the street that were softer, quieter, the way they get at this hour. And I wondered, why had I awoken? And then I realized it was my feet. This might sound strange, but the reason is this. The blood in my feet had changed. It was darker, thicker, blacker. It felt alien. I could sense and see it rising. It went from my feet to my ankles. I could see these dark lines rising higher and higher in my legs. Of course I was scared. Scared by this, but scared by something else. I was paralyzed. I was entirely unable to move. I'm not even sure how I knew this. I'm not even sure that I tried to move, but I knew that I couldn't. Up the darkness rose. I decided to conduct an experiment. I began to concentrate on this dark blood to see if I could stop its upward path. At first, nothing. I concentrated harder and I could feel it slow down. Then, after more concentration, it stopped rising. It remained at a certain height. I concentrated even harder, using all my being, all my energy, all my mind, and finally, the darkness began descending. Quarter inch by quarter inch, I could see it going down from my knees towards my ankles. This gave me some measure of consolation. I told myself 
I have some control. So I let the darkness rise. Up it went, and it wanted to go up. It was almost like a piece of paper floating above a heat duct, floating upward and upward. The upward motion for it was easy. The downward motion took my concentration and was hard. I somehow knew that its destination was my brain because it went speeding past my heart as though it barely mattered to it. It went up both sides of my neck and I could see it, these two black snaky lines creeping up inside me. Once again, I totally panicked and I thought, what will happen if this reaches my brain? Will I go insane? Will I recover? Or will I have some wonderful visions? I decided to find out. Up it rose again into my brain. It started, of course, at the base of the brain, and I could see it. It looked very much like a science experiment when dye is injected into an organ, and you can trace its path as it winds through the tiny blood vessels. Up it rose, and once again I panicked. This darkness in my brain was too much for me. Down I forced it into my neck. And then I thought, I have some control. Let me see what this is all about. So once again, I let it rise. The second it entered my brain and was there for enough time, I was able to see it. This it I am talking about was something standing next to my bed. And I not only saw it, but I recognized it. It was a good seven feet tall, oblong in shape. It was both smoky and solid. It looked like darkness made palpable. It stood, though not on feet, it stood on the base of this huge rectangle. And it was looking down at me. Not that I saw eyes, but I could sense the direction of its gaze and I could tell that to it, I was utterly meaningless. Its complete neutrality about my existence was what was the most frightening. I panicked and I forced the blood down because as I had said, I had seen it before and I did not want to see it again. It had happened many years ago. I was 17 years old, and I was on the beach at Cape Cod in Truro. I was walking down the Bay Beach at night with an old friend, a friend I've actually known since I was three. We'd walked a long ways and were getting a little tired, so we turned back. Every so often, I would look up at the dunes. I could see the seagrass waving against the sky a vague moon gave a little bit of light. I was looking for the shape of the dune, which meant that was where our house was located. That was when I saw it. Standing at the crest of the dune, silhouetted against the night sky, smoky and solid, this black rectangle. It was blacker than the sky behind it. And I could tell it was looking down at us as though we mattered not at all. 
we might as well have been two grains of sand on the beach for all it cared. I gasped and pointed. My friend looked up. She saw it too. We both screamed and ran. We ran as fast and as far as you can run on sand. Then we both collapsed. Once again, we both looked up. We'd covered quite a distance, and there it was again, stone still and staring. There was no way anything human could have run that far on the top of the dunes, because there's the sharp seagrass, their gullies, their bushes, even the occasional fence. Yet there it was, staring down at us, as though we didn't matter. We both screamed again and ran and ran, and we ran until we got to the public beach. This is where the dunes stopped, and we knew a paved road would lead us circuitously back to our house. We walked in silence, but when we reached the house, we both decided not to tell anybody. We didn't think anybody would believe us. But over the intervening years, my friend and I have sometimes discussed this being, and both of us wondered if perhaps we should have been braver, if perhaps the second time we saw it, we should have climbed the dune to approach it, to see what it had to say. So it was that now, lying on my bed, I had the chance, because there it had been. So I let the darkness rise in me, back up through my neck, back into my brain. And as it rose, I could hear this creature speaking. I didn't hear a voice, but I could hear the creature saying, higher, higher. So I acceded to its will, and I let the darkness rise. So perhaps another inch of brain was infiltrated by darkness. And then I could see why it needed more room, because a second dark creature joined it. They both needed a certain amount of area in my brain to be able to materialize. So there was the second creature. It was smaller than the first, darker, and because it was smaller, its power was concentrated into a lesser area, and this made it stronger than the first. They both stared down at me as though I mattered not at all. So I lowered the darkness again. It took tremendous effort. Down it went. First one form disappeared, then the second. Finally, when the darkness was back in my neck, I was alone again. At this point, though, I remembered various dreams I've had over the years, dreams where something is happening behind me. And if I would only turn around, I'd see a wonderful face, see a beautiful image, hear an incredible song. But in these dreams, I had not turned around. Now I told myself I could look and see what these creatures had to say. So I let the darkness rise again. Up it went, the first form appeared. Up it rose again, I could see the second. And now they both were saying, higher, just a little bit higher. At this point, my blood began to tingle, and I didn't know whether it was in warning or in welcome, because soon 
when it had risen just a bit higher, a third form appeared. This one was smaller than both. It was more powerful. It was darker. It was blacker. It was smokier at the same time. And I knew without being told that it was their master. But, I said to myself, it's not my master. So using every ounce of strength I had left, I forced the darkness down, and I could tell it did not want to go down. It fought me every inch of the way. Down it went, the first form disappeared. Down it went, the second form disappeared. Finally, and last, because it was the strongest, the master form was gone. I kept forcing the darkness down, 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 down to my feet, and finally, wonderfully, out of my body. I lay there for a few moments, exhausted, and then practicality takes control, and I looked over at the clock. Over an hour had passed. I decided then to turn on the light. At first I was scared of two things, maybe my hand wouldn't move, and if it did, maybe the light would not go on, that I would have to remain in darkness. But no, my hand moved fine, the light switched on. I was never so happy to see light. When I finally found more strength, I got out of bed. Odd to say, perhaps, the first thing I did was to take some bleach and I washed the area on the floor next to my bed where the three beings had stood. I've never seen them again, and in fact, until now, I've rarely spoken about it. But thinking about it, part of me wonders if I missed a chance, if I should have spent more time with all three and learned whatever it was they had to say. is Risk. This is Sarah McLaughlin behind me now. She made an appearance in a story of mine a while back, but now I can't remember which one it was. 
Before that, we heard from the storyteller Thomas McKean. And before that, an interstitial that's mostly made up of a parody of my favorite Twilight Zone episode, The Hitchhiker. The parody was made by Alexander Harrison Jacobs. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Marshall York. If you remember, back in the very beginning of the podcast, all of the music was made specifically for the podcast, which became an impossible thing to have happen on a weekly basis. But Marshall was one of the folks who made one of those many wonderful Risk theme songs. He has an amazing voice, and it'll be great to hear it on the show again. But before that, another voice I always love to hear. She is one of our Maximum Fun Network brethren, or sistrethen. <laughs> Carrie Poppy. Uh, she has her own podcast called Oh No, Ross and Carrie. And when I said her own podcast, I mean she definitely doesn't co-host it with a fella named Ross Blotcher. Here she is now at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles at the Nerdist showroom. We do the show there uh, once a month, every fourth Thursday. This is Carrie Poppy with a story we call It Follows... So this story uh, happened when I was like 24, um, so seven years ago now. I had just moved to LA and I was in what I would call like my wandering artist period, which is when you're like an actor or a comedian or a writer, any kind of creative type, you have to move to LA or New York and then you realize, okay, everyone I know has like waiter, waitress jobs. Okay, I'm not gonna be like that. I'm not gonna have to get a day job. And so you end up wandering around all day and like journaling and thinking about how you're like basically Charles Bukowski and and then eventually you realize like okay I have to get a day job but before I had gotten to that day job part I was in my wandering artist period so I was living in Sherman Oaks which is like just above LA I walked into this store called the Psychic Eye which is an occult bookstore and this place is like pretty creepy it's like super low lighting it feels like the beginning of the never-ending story and and they had like every kind of religious artifact you could possibly have like there would be buddhist statuettes next to queen mary shrines next to tarot cards and this was happened to be like a point in my life where i wasn't really sure who i was or what i believed and I had just moved from Sacramento where I had left a boyfriend behind and I had also left my religion behind. I was an evangelical Christian and I had sort of decided I didn't believe that anymore. So I'm like walking around the store and it's like symbolic of my life. It's like, do you wanna be Buddhist? Do you wanna be Catholic? So I'm just like wandering around being like, oh my God, oh my God, I have to decide right now in this store what my spiritual identity is. (laughs) So as I'm walking around, I start to get this sort of creepy feeling beyond just being in the low light bookstore i'm just feeling like this pressure on my chest and it kind of creeps down my arms and it's the feeling that i get at least when i feel like someone's watching me you know like if you're watching a scary movie and you just kind of want to do that just every once in a while it's like that feeling just like something's weird something's following me So I'm looking around, and the only person there is behind the cash registers, no one following me. 
And so I thought, okay, Carrie, this is just because you grew up with very strong religious beliefs. Probably this is just some weird artifact of that. You know, you're thinking that you're committing a sin for being in this New Age bookstore. That's probably it. Just walk around. You know what? Why don't you buy something? And that'll be like a, an act of symbolic defiance of your upbringing. Okay. So I'm walking around trying to find something, but I can't decide. I'm like, okay, Buddhist, I can't pull that off. Um, uh, Catholic, I know I'm not that. Um, so finally, I find this pair of stress balls, those like ones that you move around in your hand and they jingle. I find some of those and I'm like, okay, that's vaguely spiritual, that's fine. I walk up, I buy those. And as I'm leaving, this feeling is kind of growing worse. Like, just feel this like pressure on my chest. I leave, go to my car, I drive home, it's still kind of there. And as I open my door and walk in, it like overwhelmed me. I felt this feeling like someone was pushing down on my chest, like I couldn't take a full breath quite. And again, just that feeling like someone's here, someone's looking at me. And so I thought, okay, like this, you know, this is just me having a moment. Everything's going to be fine. I went in, I waited for the feeling to pass. It didn't. I thought, okay, go to bed. Maybe it'll be on in the morning. So I went to bed, I wake up, feeling is worse. Now it feels like someone's sitting on my chest. <laughs> like it's a really intense physical feeling. And it's again creeping down my arms. And so every few steps in my own house, every few steps I'm like looking to make sure no one's there. And I live alone. <laughs> so I, I start to think, okay, I guess this is one of two things. Something is here or I'm losing it. So at first I think, okay, well, I'd prefer something is here than that I'm crazy, so I'm going to call my best friend. So I call my best friend Claire. She grew up Wiccan, so I knew she wouldn't be freaked out by, like, <laughs> this sort of spiritual thing. So I call her and I say, um, okay, it's going to sound weird, but I went to the psychic guy. I felt this feeling. I think it followed me home. And she said, not weird at all. Okay. <laughs> so here's what you do. You go and you buy some sage and come home and do like a cleansing ritual. And you know what? Just tell the thing to leave. Tell it you live there. It doesn't get to live there. Go back to the psychic guy. Okay. So I go and I, I buy sage. I bring it home. And this is like the worst time in my life to try to sound commanding. So I'm like walking around. I'm like, go away. I live here. <laughs> um, of course the feeling doesn't go away but I think okay you know maybe this takes a while I don't know how long it takes sage to work so I wait and I wait and a few hours pass and the feeling's still there wait until the next morning feeling's getting worse and so this time I wake up and I'm like I, I barely want to move my arms feel like pinned down to my sides my chest is just really like sunken down and I wake up and I just start crying. I don't know what to do. And I think, I can't even tell anyone about this. I'm going to sound, you know, not sane. So I start calling, like, the only friends I think I can trust with this information. I call my friend Brittany and say, can you just come over and sit in my living room? Because that's where the feeling feels the worst. And if you say you don't feel anything, then maybe I'll just think I'm nuts and maybe then I'll feel better. Aww. So she comes over. And she sits in the living room. It's like, yeah, no, I don't feel anything. 
And so, okay, all right, fine. So I have my friend Brad come over, and Brad sits there just in silence for like 10 minutes and then says, Poppy, I'm worried about you. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I'm worried about me too. So the next morning, I called a psychiatrist, made an appointment, went in that day, and I told her everything. And she listened very politely, and then she said, okay, and you know that this probably isn't true, right? And I said, yeah, I know it's probably not true. And she said, okay, do you have any other delusions? And then I thought, oh my God, delusions? That's what I have? Oh my God. And so then I'm trying to think like, well, what else would be a delusion? Because if you have a delusion, then you don't know you have it. That's the whole point. So like trying to think of stuff and I'm like, well, I don't think like famous people are in love with me or uh, uh, what, else, what else would a delusion look like? And she's like, well, you know, do you hear voices telling you to kill anybody? No. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so she said, you know, we're going to start you out on like a really low dose medicine and we'll see if that helps. And if it doesn't, you'll come back and tell me. So, okay. so I go, I buy the medicine, take it, wait for the feeling to go away. Doesn't go away. And so for the next week, two weeks, take the medicine, no improvement. And now I'm thinking, all right, like I took psych in college. I know that schizophrenia sets in in your late teens, early 20s. Like, maybe this is my life now. But maybe, maybe ghosts are fucking real. And everybody says they believe in them until the rubber hits the road. And then they're like, I'm worried about you. So I, I get online and I find a forum of like ghost hunters and a sort of a last-ditch effort, I post in it, and I'm like, this is what's happening in my house. Does anyone have any suggestions for me? Three or four people suggest things I've already tried, you know, do the sage, tell the thing to go, hire an exorcist if you feel like you're not good at it. And then one person said, all right, this is really unlikely, but have you ever heard of carbon monoxide poisoning? <laughs> and I was like... Yeah. <laughs> I've read Death of a Salesman. Yeah. <laughs> but that, like, kills you. And he said, yeah, if it's a big leak, yeah. But if it's a slow leak, sometimes no. And I would look up the symptoms. So I went and I looked up the symptoms. Top two are pressure on your chest and a feeling of dread like something bad is going to happen. <laughs> like, oh, fuck. Okay. So then I remembered that when I moved into this place, I had smelled gas and I had called the landlady and she just sent like a friend over to fix the leak and the smell went away, so I hadn't thought about it since. So I call the gas company and I'm like, look, I have this really negligent landlady. She's not going to call you. Will you please come over and do me a favor and see if I have a gas leak? They come over, they check it, and the guy says, I'm really glad you called. You could have been dead in two weeks. So I, uh, I don't know if she patched up the gas leak because uh, I moved right away and I've never been haunted since.
In the summer of 95, I went on a grand solo tour of the western United States. I drove my Mazda pickup truck from Texas to California, up to Oregon, Washington, and into Montana, and then I crossed over the border into Wyoming to spend the night in the Grand Teton National Park. Now, all along the way, I camped in parks by myself, and, you know, it was nice, but there were meadows and sunsets that I wanted to share with someone. Late that afternoon, I hiked four miles to a place that had a great view of the Tetons. I pitched a tent, I made a fire, I ate some ramen, and watched the moon rise, and then around 9 p.m. I went to bed. I don't know when it started, but I heard a voice. A man's voice. It was almost as if this man were lying next to me, whispering in my ear. Clearly, and articulately, the voice said, Kill the camper. Kill the camper. Now, this is what I knew. I knew that I was wide awake. This was not a dream. I knew I was not under the influence of drugs or alcohol. And I knew that I was hearing a voice. A voice that stated an intention to kill me, or some other camper. Maybe it was confused, or maybe it wasn't. Kill the camper. Kill the camper. Zip. I unzip my tent and pop my head outside. Hello? Hello? The wind picked up. The leaves of the aspens shimmered in the moonlight. I lay staring at the ceiling of my tent. Kill the camper. Kill the camper. Now this is a story that I've told many, many times because it is, without a doubt, the weirdest thing that has ever happened to me. I didn't believe in the supernatural. I'd heard the stories, we've all heard the stories, but I never thought, gee, I hope I'm haunted one day in the same way that one thinks, gee, I hope I win the lottery one day. Kill the camper. Kill the camper. Zip. I walked around with my flashlight, like you do in a horror film, and I am terrified. I am freaked out. I've never been this scared in my life because I couldn't explain why this was happening to me. Maybe if there were, say, a weirdo in the bushes trying to, in a sick, twisted way, scare me, I could say, ha-ha, you scared me, weirdo, and shoo him off and then slap my hands together like you do when you say, well, that explains that. But there's no one. I go back to my tent, and I'm afraid to lie down because I know I'm going to hear, Kill the camper. Kill the camper. I am now so scared, I am pinned to the ground as though gravity is going to fail at any moment and I am going to fall into the sky. Then I heard footsteps outside, like a mob of people is gathering outside to murder me. Zip. No one is there. My heart is racing. My palms are sweating. I am so close to hyperventilating. Kill the camper. Kill the camper. I heard more footsteps. 
this time animal footsteps. Deer and buffalo have gathered outside my tent to trample me. Zip. No animals are there. Clearly, I was losing my mind. My obituary is going to read, Marshall York, 24, died in the Grand Tetons after being scared to death. With no recourse, I began talking to the voice. I tried to reason with it, but it's impossible to reason with any entity that says the same thing over and over. Kill the camper. So I brought myself to its level and played the game it was playing. Kill the camper. Kill the ghost. Kill the camper. Kill the ghost. Kill the camper. Kill the ghost. And then it was gone. Had I killed the ghost? Scared it away? All I had to do was behave like a five-year-old? I braced myself for its return. Its absence was as terrifying as its presence. I didn't sleep for a long, long time that night. And I never camped by myself again. for this episode folks this is the icicle works behind me now we seem to be on a little bit of a roll here of ending these scary story shows with old 80s music that was marshall york we just heard and listen folks we have so many dates coming up that i really need for you guys to be pitching us your stories listen In January, we're coming to Nashville. That show, the theme will be Unstoppable. In February, we're coming to Austin. That show, the theme will be Funky. The the theme for Austin is Funky. Then we're also going to be in Houston in February, Mind Games. And in Dallas in February, the theme will be Weird. Now, you know, we don't have those dates set in stone. But we are coming to Nashville, Austin, Houston, and Dallas in the first couple months of the year. Email me at kevin at risk-show.com. I can help you. Brainstorm on your story's key scenes. Workshop it. Revise it. Help you shape it. And if you don't have a story to share, maybe you know someone who, who could. So have them email me at kevin at risk-show.com. 
Now, how about shows that are already set in stone? Well, there's Milwaukee. That is November 14th. We're going to be at the back room. The show starts at 8. That's in Milwaukee on November 14th. We're in New York on November 19th. Cleveland. Cleveland. We're there on November 21st. Come on out, Cleveland. And we are actually still taking pitches for that one. The theme is so emotional. We're in L.A. on November 28th. Then we are in Salt Lake City on December 12th. The theme that night is Twisted. We're still taking pitches for that. Pitch me, Salt Lake City folks. The theme is Twisted for December 12th. And if you ever think to yourself, wow, gosh, I don't know how I would put a story together. Listen, there's an incredibly easy to use in your own time course called Intro to Storytelling at thestorystudio.org. That's me giving video lectures and then you download worksheets to workshop your story. It helps you bit by bit put your story together. So definitely check that out at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. I was looking for the shape of the dune, which meant that was where our house was located. That was when I saw it. What the hell is that? Standing at the crest of the dune. What's that dang thing doing here? Silhouetted against the night sky. How did that get here? Smoky and solid. What the hell is that? It was blacker than the sky behind it. What the hell is that? Oblong in shape. I gasped and pointed. Hey, come over here and look at this deal. My friend looked up. She saw it too. What the hell is that? Well, get a photo of me with it anyway. Be careful with that thing. 